0: It's Machine Yearning from ASSIST. It's a podcast where we think and dream about the future of AI, the talking internet, and how we're reshaping our culture. This chapter is an excerpt from our interview with Janine Uzel at the 2018 Voice Summit, the largest single gathering of the conversational design ecosystem. While we were at Voice, we met people who are living at the front edge of creating a more inclusive culture in technology product design. Enter Janine Uzel. Most recently, Janine was the head of women in technology for GE. There she worked across the 300,000 employee community, leading a culture shift to accelerate the number of women within GE's technical female workforce. Janine spoke with conference organizer and friend of the pod, Janice Mandel. In this conversation, they talk about how you build and lead inclusive, diverse teams so you can attract and serve a diverse customer base. This is just a taste, so make sure you grab the full episode and subscribe, so you never miss a single machine yearning. Janine Uzel.
1: As a emerging market leader, my job is to really understand the global market and to put our technology in those spaces, or to understand what technologies can work well there. You did. How many years with GE? I was at GE for almost two decades in a number of roles from operations. I worked in global health and then ended my time there as the head of women in technology, so wonderful experience. I was leading a team, uh, and we were focused on ultrasound. More specifically. you mean we, when you have a baby? Yeah, ultrasound. Right. So yeah, yeah. a lar- ultrasound is a really large, bulky, heavy product, and it needs a lot of consumables. What you actually need to make it work, and the power and electricity that it generates. You said it was like the size of a washing and machine. We call I call it the washing machine, right. and so it's a mini washing machine, but a washing machine nonetheless. And we were simplifying this product to take it into markets like Indonesia and Bangladesh and Sub-Saharan Africa, and um, the result was our handheld ultrasound, which is a product called VScan. It's it's wonderful, wonderful product. It can be solar powered, it can be used um, very non-traditional spaces, and it does very, very basic ultrasound technology. In a handheld. Uh, in a handheld device. Now, you know, when we were putting this product together, we definitely were thinking about the end user. You couldn't tell me we weren't. I lived in India, worked there, been to Africa, watched the midwives work. We know how to design this product. And at the end of the day, we are creating uh, job opportunities for non-traditional, task-shifted users. We were helping support the United Nations Millennium Development Goals. We were going to generate incremental revenue for the company. All good, all good, you had your white hat on. I was ready, like, give me my finish line and run over the edge. Until it just, none of that happened. We had certainly designed what they needed. This product gave them what they needed, solar-powered, handheld, easy to use. It just wasn't what they wanted. Some of the most basic things, for example, the product is white. It gets dirty too fast. We're not proud of it. It looks, it looks dingy and old. We don't want it to, to be unattractive because we're businesswomen and we're, we're trying to build our company and the other women don't like the way it looks. Uh, we really don't want it to be handheld. We don't have any pockets to put it in because we wear saris or very traditional clothing and the women didn't have, um, didn't have pockets. So we're thinking, you know, you put on your lab coat and you put it in your pocket. But in Indonesia, which has some of the largest population, over 100,000 midwives that that go through their their midwife program, they don't have pockets. They're wearing a, a traditional garment that doesn't have that. So they're like, I need a handle. I need something to carry it with. So some of these things were so easy and so simple, but cost us in the end. Because now you're talking about going back to marketing, going back to the design team, having to recreate a product and redistribute it. And fortunately, it did work for us, but every company won't have the resources or or the opportunity to do that. So we've got to catch this up front and and solve it early on. So how do you do your research then? Are there some... Ways so, that people can be mindful of making I am, sure they're inclusive? I am a very strong proponent of going as grassroots as possible for research. I'm I was what do you very do? non-traditional. I was in the field with the midwives, you know, working with them, trying to, you know, to understand this most. But what I could say to people overall is you have to ensure that your sample size is broad and you have to think out of the box. And so you know, if you're a financial company and you're designing a financial app to teach um, or to ease the process of investing, Mm I'd go talk to the people that don't have any money. Why are you going to sit around and talk to people that have tons of money, call their financial advisors or know how to use their apps, know exactly what they want to do? I'd go to the folks that want to aspire to be that and don't do traditional banking because then they're going to say something like, well, when I click on this, I want it to give me a small definition. I forgot what that means. I don't remember all my investing terminology. Or I just want to use something that's, that's entry-level, something that allows me to invest a dollar a week, um, or save my change at the end of the month that will and and i don't make enough money to be in your organization or to be in that group of sample size but i would get the data from all of those people because now you're going to design a product that's going to market and expand um, to people that think that they can't even be a part of your continuum i'd also again i like to talk to um Media, uh, whether it's magazines or mm-hmm. schools or programs, anyone that I think could be a potential end user, mm-hmm. live with one of the end users, know someone that has a grandmother or an aunt that could be an end user, all of those folks are important to content. And the more conversations you have with people, the more you'll be able to learn um, where your resources are. And they come from the most non traditional. Uh, spaces, and and so data is everywhere. It Mm -hmm. is everywhere. It's it's on the bus, uh, the subway ride that you're taking home. It's just a matter of being open um, to the uniqueness of where it can come from. Now, I know that FinTech gave us a jump start,
2: right? Mm -hmm. They figured out how to uh, make things available, the way people live run, you know, into make banking available just, for, you know, so they didn't have to make the dangerous run home. Correct. Right? And they could just send it home. We have a dangerous situation coming up because there are no laws right now that talk about employment and what these algorithms will control.
1: How are we gonna do that? Well, right now, you know, from a legislative perspective, there there's some things that are, that are always thought about, right? Age race, some of the basic discriminatories. But there are communities of people uh, that even I can't think of them all, but for example, people that work the midnight shift or some of the non-traditional users that I talked about um, earlier. And when we're not covering or thinking about them, then obviously, you know, legislation needs to go much broader. Um, The opportunity to put more seats at the table is absolutely where we need to go. Mm -hmm also need to include ethicists. They need to have legal teams at the table. This table has to go broad. And just when you think it should just be my programmer, my coder, and the person that understands how voice technology or any technology should work is exactly when we're missing it. So we've got to come together. There are some organizations and, and guidelines and teams that have been put in place by like IEEE and other organizations to say, let's, um, let's convene and ensure that this table is broader. I think psychologists need to be at the table. That's important. There's a level of thinking uh, that's very different as we're starting to tap into the homes and the lifestyles of people with, with this type of technology. Uh, where's the privacy? What, how are we managing this differently? I think we'll start to see it in all sorts of ways as people are starting to you know, leverage social media and all of these apps and to run for office or to determine where they stand uh, politically or socially or economically. And so having all of uh, these at the people at the table is going to matter tremendously as we get um, deeper into this. That's interesting,
2: and it's a big job. You know, Steve Case and his uh, the third wave, he wrote a book recently, and he said, you know, we're past the time where you can make an app and sit in your dorm room, and everybody will get it, and that's it. We're now messing with the very fundamental foundations of our society, and that's a big ecosystem.
1: It's huge because we don't know. I mean, things go everywhere all of the time now. I was reading where an author was saying that the disparity or the circumstance that we're leading to could be circa, you know, just the challenges of of civil rights and, and some of the problems that we've had because we're at the mercy of the thoughts of the programmers. And again, we know that some of those, while they're not intentional, some of them could be you know, some of the racism, sexism, otherwise. We're teaching machining how to do this now. Right. Machining is now going to become bias to end users. And machining, we're not even talking human beings. So now we've got humanity and the machining all turning against members of society, possibly just based on the programming of one group of people. And while it could seem like is that possible? It absolutely is, which is why Huge. I, I said earlier there there is proof that some racism is stemmed just from programming. Wow! So you got a big job ahead of you. Well, I want all of us to take it on together, and I, I'm telling you, I, it's it's the responsibility again of every and of every technologist, every person that decides that they want to work in this space and um, be a part oh. of the growth of this this business. It's the responsibility of the leadership, the people who lead the teams, the people who contribute to the content the lawyers, the ethicists, the, the psychologists, all of us, because all of us are going to be affected by it. It's so it's, it's no way that you could say, oh, I don't use that, so it's not going to phase me. I don't need to be involved. You're involved. Facial recognition, you're involved. Anywhere you go and your photo is, is being scanned, you are now a part of this. Don't wait until you have a negative experience to decide right. that you want to get involved.
0: Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll take a second to share this episode with other members of your team. It's one of those deal-breaker places we have to get right in AI and machine learning. Get in touch on Twitter, at Assist. DMs are open. We're super interested to hear who you think should appear on the podcast. Machine Yearning is made by Paul Chufo and Michael Elsesser for Limina House. Have a great day.